Hello and welcome to the another edition of the Spidey Experience. This is the audio version of the show. And if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. If you watched us on YouTube before and left comments in the past, thank you. But if you're listening to this audio edition, there's going to be references to some visual aids. But this is a conversation with myself and Eddie D'Angelini. Eddie D'Angelini is a good friend of mine. He is a comic shop owner. He is a guy that once had the complete collection of Amazing Spider-Man. So we get a lot into... Um, but it's like owning a comic shop, especially in the post-pandemic world. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to it. It's really a lot of fun, and uh, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. So, without further ado, let's get started with Eddie. Welcome back to another episode of The Spidey Dude Experience. I'm Zach Joyner, your friendly neighborhood webmaster and host of the program, and this is a special edition episode. It's a conversation I'm going to have with a good friend of mine. Before we get started, though, I have to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network. Patrons such as Vinkman, Scott, Greg, Jurgen, Venetian, Kale, Georgia, Jessica, Catherine, Cindy. Thank you guys for your support of all of our shows here on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Shows such as Amazing Spider-Man Classic Season 2 with Javi and Jack Trujillo. Uh, we've got Make Mine Mayday, the show all about Spider-Girl and her world. And then you got our, uh, coming soon, you have Books of X. That's going to be a Patreon-first show. And while you're over at Spidey-Dude.com, you can check out our legacy podcasts, Clone Saga Chronicles, and Spit Radio. Also, you can check out the Salby Sima era podcast, this podcast all about Salby Sima's seminal time on the Spectacular Spider-Man uh, series. So, with all that out of the way, without further ado, I'm Zach Joyner. Hello. And uh, as we get through today, um, this episode is a special one for me because I've known Eddie. I just realized I met Eddie 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, in 2011. And uh, so our paths crossed and we've been Facebook friends ever since. But he is a guy that is living the dream. He's an artist. He is a business owner and not just any business though he is an owner of a comic shop and so without further ado eddie d'angelini hey zach and you're muted Uh oh Oh, you can't hear me how about now um Uh uh-oh i hear you now okay it was me (laughs) all right i got scared for a second no, that wasn't that wasn't you. It was me. I forgot to press a button. <laughs> so Vic Vicman right. says hello there. Dan says uh, nice art. So um, yeah, welcome Eddie. Um, so for those that don't know, uh, Eddie, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, what all you do. I am Eddie D'Angelini. I am a good friend of Zach's for over 10 years. And I know it's been over 10 years because when we first met, I was not yet doing my collector's comic strip and that's mm-hmm. been running for 10 years. So it's been more than 10 years. Wow. So, yeah. I yeah. cannot believe that that started 10 years ago. It, it just I'm seems like it started done. yesterday, man. Yeah, I, I remember, yeah. I remember when you announced that. So talk a little bit about how that came about. Uh, collectorscomic.com is the website, correct? Correct. Yes. So I do a weekly web comic and also print comic strip called Collectors is loosely based on me and my wife and my obsessive comic book collecting and geekiness and all the nerdy stuff she's got to live with uh, 
living with me, what she's got to put up with. So I started doing that 10 years ago and um, it just came out of me wanting to do something creative and having been a creative person most of my life and not being happy with the creative pursuits I was doing back then. I was a web designer. I was working for uh, uh, doing freelance work and also working for, you know, like insurance companies and this kind of companies, stuff that's very just blah and boring and not interesting. And cause you know, just like you, my love has always been with comics. And so I decided I want to do something more creative along the lines of what I enjoy. And I've always loved comics. I grew up reading the Sunday funnies in the newspaper and thought, well, first off, I thought I'm not a good enough artist to be able to you know, be the penciler on Amazing Spider-Man. But you know what? I bet you I'm good enough to do a fun, funny little comic strip. And I just started doing it, came up with a few, figured, okay, well, I want to do this as a weekly webcomic. And I just posted it on Facebook and just had enough faith that I was going to be able to do one a week. And it's been 10 years. And since that time, I've gone on to publish, gosh, what, seven, eight. Eight, yeah. Volume. Uh, there's actually six annuals of collectors every year i put together all the strips all the weekly strips that i've done online along with new material in a book which is like a not quite a trade paperback but not quite a comic book it's somewhere in the middle almost like a double or triple size sized annual comic book and i've done six of those i've done a one spanish language one shot of collectors and then the eighth one is the now new complete collectors volume one trade paperback that is awesome. Uh, that is I actually love that cover. It, yeah. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I equally love the uh, variant cover that my good friend uh, Jay Sullivan, who is a cover artist for IDW, uh, did of the variant cover for this, which is like a takeoff, uh, an homage to, I believe it's Batman number nine from the Golden Age with Batman and Robin under the spotlight. But he really drew it realistically as my wife and I. And it's just hysterically funny. It's hilarious. <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's a uh, Batman 16 because I have that. Is it this the one that you're talking about? No, it's Batman oh. nine. Okay. Because I, it doesn't I, have anything else in the background other than just black. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. And it's just All right. The image of them. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So for anybody who is watching this, you can go to my website at collectors.com collectorscomic.com tomorrow. And you'll see it because after we're done here, I'm actually going to go and update my website to start put, uh, putting the book up live for sale. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, all uh, the rewards are all fulfilled because I wanted to make sure I take care of all of them first. And now the book is available for anyone and everyone to buy. Nice. All right. Collectorscomic.com. I'll keep that up for a little bit for those that are watching us. If you're listening to the audio edition of this, this is coming. The audio edition is going to come out next week. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, I, I get it done on uh, over the weekend, but um, so yeah, so we're probably gonna be having some references to some visual aids. So there, there's your disclaimer for the that I yeah. usually do at the beginning of every episode. Um, but yeah, okay. So let's go back. Talk about your your. How did you get into collecting? Um, how did you get to started in comics? And and kind of tell us a little bit about that. Well, little eight, nine, ten year old Eddie. Uh, just gravitated towards Spider-Man and loved the fact that when I was a little kid and I'm going to be dating myself here, Spider-Man would appear on the electric company 
And yes. I just loved it. I didn't know who the heck this guy was, but I loved him. And when I went to uh, the grocery store, because back then grocery store, liquor stores, convenience stores still had spinner racks. And I would walk by the spinner rack and I would see Spider-Man. And I would beg my parents, buy me, can you buy me, buy me, buy me? And they would start buying me comic books with Spider-Man on it, anything with Spider-Man. If I was homesick from school, uh, my dad would always stop off on his way home from work at like, you know, whatever little convenience store and pick up anything that he saw Spider-Man on and bring it home for me to read. So that's where it all started. Wow. Uh, that to me goes to this age. To this day, it's still going. You know, you at one point had every Spidey comic published at that point, or every Amazing Spider-Man comic published, right? Yeah, every the main title, Amazing Spider-Man, not counting every single variant that had come out, but just every issue and issue. Uh, yeah, from Amazing Fantasy 15 to Amazing Spider-Man number one, all the way through to, at that time, Amazing Spider-Man 700. That's everything. I had some of the variants all along, but I did not go back and get every single variant for every issue. But it was still a uh, set. Yeah, there's a guy I follow on uh, Facebook and Twitter. His, his handles Doctor Spidey. He's an orthodontist, and he he gets mm-hmm. like every variant. And I'm like, <sighs> like Doctor. especially now, it's yeah. crazy that he's yeah. on it. I mean, I mean, you, you buy an a, a X-Men comic with the, uh, with the Spidey variant, you know, I know it's the 60th anniversary and all, but so you always have been in California, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I was born in Chicago, but I was raised out here. So it's pretty much yeah, all I've known. Yeah. So Southern California guy getting all these comics. Was it like a, like a seven 11? Uh, did you, did y'all, do you even have, uh, y'all have those, right? I, of course, 7-Eleven is everywhere. Come on. Uh, well, you can, probably to, you can probably go to somewhere deepest continent in Africa or Asia and find a 7-Eleven, I'm sure. <laughs> That's probably true. You in know, more years, they'll have a 7-Eleven on the moon and on Mars. So, you know, uh, I mean, when we get I that. Yeah. Where, you, uh, yeah, like, uh, where did you get those comics at? Was it just the grocery store or did or did you start going to comic shops or when did, when did that? that... Time, I didn't. Oh, yeah, at that time, I didn't even know there were comic shops. I had no clue. I didn't find that until maybe my teens that I realized, oh, there's actually comic book shops. There was a liquor store close to my house, a few blocks. I would always be riding my bike home from school and pass by the liquor store, and they had a spinner rack, and I would always stop there and spend my allowance money on comic books. Nice. So that, you bought it at a li- liquor yeah, store. Huh. liquor store. <laughs> See, like... That's crazy, because like down, you know, over here in, in Texas, you can't, you, you know, nobody under 21 allowed in the liquor store. But, you know, you as a kid getting to go in there and, and grab a grab a few com- and they had comics. You know, that's the thing, too. Like, like, oh, yeah, uh, the liquor store was like the, the, the convenience store. Yeah, they sold liquor behind the counter or, oh, okay. and, you know, some of the shelves kind of off to the side where the kids didn't go. But then they had all the snacks and potato chips and cookies and this and that. And, you know, uh, probably like a Pac-Man video game there by the door. So all the kids would always go to the liquor store after school and buy comics okay. and, and play video games until their parents okay. got home. Okay. That, we that, were, that makes we a lot of kids get off at school from three, play video games until five and then run yep. home before, uh, you know, mom or dad gets home and pretend like you were there the whole time doing your homework. 
<laughs> right. And then, but then there was always that one time when your parents showed up or got home early and they're like, where are you? Oh, you that was trouble. school function. I, yeah, yeah, uh, where were you at? Uh, you know. Uh, so let's talk about when did you go to your first convention? As just a as just a fan. First convention was San Diego Comic Con, and I believe it was eighty six or eighty seven. And back then, you did not have to fight online months before to get a badge to go in. You could just show up the day of, go to the ticket booth, and buy your badge. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't want to say how old I was at that point, but uh, um, if it was eighty seven. I was not even born yet, so I was born the I, Honestly, I'm not too. Sh- it might have been a little bit later because I remember I was already driving. So 87, 88. I'm not sure. What I do remember is that at one point when we were uh, up on a second level, looking down at the crowd trying to get in, one morning, these two older men walked up to us, look over the side where we were looking, and then just started commenting about you know about the crowd and talking to us. And then they walked off and I didn't know who they were. And my friend goes, did you, do you know who that was? I'm like, no, that was, uh, that was Harlan Ellison. And I forget who else, uh, but it was, I, I had no clue. I was like, I think wow. 15, 16, yeah, something like yeah. that. Uh, 16, 17. Cause I was old enough to drive. So, but I had no clue back then who they were. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was Harlan Ellison and uh, Gene Roddenberry, and I remember. And I, but I wow. didn't know this was before the internet. A lot of times, you didn't know what these people looked like. Yeah, you know, unless like, you saw like, them on like yeah, a TV for, show. Right, except for Harlan Ellison, he would have his picture on the back of his books. But mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't have any of his books, you had no clue. You know, now you right. know what everyone looks like because of just mass media and the internet you can look up anything at any moment but back then so i didn't know you know when we started spideydude.com i've joked about this but this this device in my hand my phone is probably like 30 times more powerful than the first computer that powered spideydude.com you know or spideydude yeah spideydude spider-man page back then but like it it, just how far that we've seen uh, in our lifetimes, the the technology grow. The fact that we're talking to each other right now live on the internet, a live program, not in a studio. We're in our houses. You know, it's crazy to think about that sometimes. You know, I, I was talking to uh, somebody the other day, and I said, you know, I've been podcasting so long, I predate the iPhone in terms of <laughs> podcasting. And they looked at me and they went, what? I was like, I podcasted before the iPhone exist announcement was even made. Right. And, and so we have something in common with this. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. you being a content creator with podcasts, me being a content creator with web comics, mm-hmm. every so many years, the technology completely changes and you have to keep going with that wave. Otherwise you're left behind. Yes. So, you're still doing, um, you're not doing digital. Uh, you do digital coloring, right? On the uh, on the comic, yeah, or is it? I still am drawing everything, draw uh, penciling and inking everything by hand, nice. and then 
coloring and lettering digitally, but I do have the equipment to work digitally 100%. Uh, but for, I don't use it for two reasons. Uh, one, the house that my wife and I live in, my work area is rather small. And I always thought, oh, well, one day we're going to move to uh, a two-bedroom place and I'll have more room, like a real office, and I can, I can actually set it up. Because what I have is a Wacom tablet that was given to me by another cartoonist friend who got a like, nice new modern setup, but his older workhorse, which is still great, he didn't need it anymore and he offered it to me. Well, it's big. It's, it, it's the size of a, you know, it, it takes up a whole desktop. So I don't have that. I don't have the room. And then plus, I love the tactile feeling of drawing and inking by hand. And it's really hard for me to give up. And it's worth it for me to to keep that that skill going and that that uh, hand brain thing going, because when I go to conventions, I constantly get asked to do sketch covers. And it's good to be able to whip them out quick without having to try to remember how to draw with your hand, you know, for real instead of on a right. screen. Yeah, because I mean, the latency now is is I mean, they're getting so I mean, you look at an iPad and you look at the Apple Pencil and like the latency is almost there. I mean, it's just they're just a little bit. But I know I, I've talked like with my buddy Gerard and he's like, it is different. You know, it is a like you say, it, it's a different skill drawing it digi something digitally as opposed to, you know, the pen and paper. So 10 years um, are all the characters in the comic based on real people or is it just you and Kristen? No, based on everybody in there is based on somebody I know, but they're except for me and Kristen, they are tweaked well enough to where they're not necessarily recognizable who they are. Okay. Uh, a couple of them might be fairly recognizable to the people that they are based on, but then also mm -hmm. like my two friends uh, are actually based on my three friends growing up. And I kind of just mashed the three into two uh, mm -hmm. for the sake of ease of not having to, you know, deal with as many characters. So, and plus the, just having me and two other people, we're like the three stooges. So it just kind of works out better just having the two friends. So some people <laughs> are kind of mashed together like that to uh, somewhat resemble the real life person, but not quite. You know, I remember, um, reading the gutters and it was kind of that comic that was like commenting on the comic world. Right. Mm -hmm. And kind of giving it the little funhouse mirror treatment type thing. You know, when you're, when you're, when you go into the week and you're like, all right, I need, I need to draw the, the, I need to start working on the story. What's your process like? <laughs> uh, usually it's a couple days of panic first. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> I usually at some point come up with a, a strong enough idea that I just sit down and start penciling it. I don't, I've tried to do this a million times. I've tried to sit down and write a number of strips all at one time. So I just have all of them ready to go for me to sit down and draw. And it's great for people who can do that. I just can't do it. I've tried over and over and over to do that process and it just doesn't work for me. So Every strip that you see is the one that I've literally come up with the idea for and wrote and drew just days before because it, I just it's cutting it that close every time. And then every time when I think, oh, I've got more time this week, I can come up with two 
and uh, give myself a little more breathing room never happens. It's never happened in 10 years ever. So, <laughs> but it also allows you to keep very, very topical too. Like true. true. I'm kind uh, of, you know, up to the moment, you know, literally ripped from the headlines of, of geekdom. You're, so, you're like the law and order of, of web comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. So um, you and I, Speaking of San Diego Comic-Con, that's where you and I met in 2011. Uh, I had hair, uh, a lot of hair. You know, I, I showed my uh, my bosses, uh, my I still have my driver's license for when I was 18. And uh, I showed them that, that picture, and they're like, that's not you. And I was like, I swear, it's me. They don't believe me that I once had hair. But yes, uh, as, I, as I like to say, Just my ex-wife. The, you can look at the eyes and the smile, and you can totally tell it's you. Yeah, I mean, yes, there's more. There's, there, I, I was babyface back then, but um, I mean, it's, I mean, I just basically transferred the hair from here to here. That's <laughs> well, it didn't didn't disappear. It just moved. Exactly, it just moved south. Um, but man, that was such a for. And I remember you were the one that told me San Diego Comic Con is sensory overload because we ate dinner. I think the. Was it was it that Wednesday? I think it was that Wednesday. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was the first night. Yes, and I had I hadn't I had gotten in later, me and John, John Wilson, the host of ASM Class, one of the hosts of ASM Classics here on the Spidey Radio Network. Uh we got in later than Josh and Don and Stella. And so we then met you guys uh downtown. Um I can't remember the name of the restaurant. So uh but uh yeah man that was that was a trip man uh i i i loved going to san diego and i i just remember you telling me it's sensory overload and and i just remember um you know josh was like oh you get to you get to meet eddie i'm like eddie who's eddie (laughs) eddie eddie his wife kristen And, and you guys were oh man it was like one of my favorite parts of the trip uh no lie you guys were you guys were awesome um how did you meet your wife? And how is she so patient with your with your geekdom? Believe it or not, we met on Match.com. There you, there. we we it's are the, Match.com success story. Uh, I was not on Match.com for any other reason but to just message her. Wow! Uh, I just I saw her profile. I um, just decided, okay, well, I'll pull out my credit card and I'm going to join and I'm going to message her. And, and that was it. And, wow. and soon after I just canceled it because it was literally, I just wanted to meet her and wow. her, her headline on her profile said dork with a sense of normalcy. So I guess that answers your question about how she puts up with me. <laughs> well, cause the Kristen in the comic is, you know, she is, she is kind of the the straight man to the wacky antics of of Eddie. Um, right. And it has to be that way. You can't have two, you know, wacky people. You have to have right. You have to have the Jerry Lewis and the Dean Martin. You have to have the straight man and the goofball. And she's not like that in real life. There's a small part of it that maybe is true because she's the one in the relationship that is the more uh sensible one at times. Mm-hmm. Um you know, sometimes I'm that person, you know, it's just like your relationship is, uh, you know, you kind of switch roles a lot sometimes, yes. but 
it just came across that way when I did it. And I thought, this is funny. This is a good fit. And it's not supposed to be an autobiographical comic. It is obviously made up. The situations could never be true because right. someone in the early days in the first year, what someone wrote on the crawl space when they commented, they said, if this guy's really like this, that woman will divorce her in two seconds. And that's true. It's you know, <laughs> like, like the Simpsons. If there was a marriage like that, that Marge would have walked out on Homer years ago. But yeah, of course. You, you, you play up the small little aspects of truth and just blow it up into something totally exaggerated and out of this world and make it funny. So yeah. that's what the comic strip is. And you seem to just continue to keep on chugging along. I mean, you're going to conventions and you're, you know, doing, you know, stuff at Artist Alley and, and you know, it's crazy over 10 years ago, you, this wasn't even a thing. And I just remember when you when you announced it, man, I thought it was the coolest thing, man. I, I was I was so impressed because I've always wanted to draw, but I've never been any good. My dad is a good artist. But I, I just I never I don't know if it was the di- the discipline for me or something like that. But I I, I love to doodle, but like I'm not. I'm, yeah, well, terrible. my opinion, it is the discipline. When people say, "Oh, you you were born with this talent," that's hogwash. It's garbage. Hmm. You do anything every day for ten years, and you're going to get good at it, no matter who you are. Yeah. So this idea that some people are born with the talent and some aren't is is literally it's garbage because you can look up and see some of like say Jim Lee, he's posted some of his first drawings from when he was a kid, right? And they look terrible because he was he was a kid he didn't have the skill yet he didn't understand anatomy he didn't he hadn't learned all that stuff yet mm-hmm. but he kept going year after year learning anatomy learning perspective. Uh, practicing over and over and over, day on day in, day out, and that's why he's Jim Lee now and has the ability that he has now because he spent years and years practicing and developing it and learning and honing that skill. Someone, right. so when someone says, "Oh, you're so lucky to be talented," it's kind of an insult because mm. it completely disregards the years that I spent working to try to learn how to do this. And right. same with anybody else who can do the same. So that's my take. No, no, I, I think it's it's true. I mean, it's, it's Eddie Van Halen didn't pick up a guitar and start riffing. He had to learn no. the basics and the chords. And, and I'm working on learning guitar, too. So, you know, I, I, using that as an example, you know, you're you're, you're learning. You're, you got to learn how to get your fingers in the right positions and, and learning the tones. It's like singing, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, my, my wife, she, she talks about, oh, I can't sing and you can sing. And I'm like, but I spent eight years doing that, whether it be in school or at church or, you know, like, like in the shower, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's exactly what you just said. It, it's something that you develop over time. Podcasting. You go back and listen to those early episodes of Crawl Space when I first started. I was terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. Luckily, I had somebody like Brad who had experience in broadcasting that I could kind of, you know, lean on and emulate and and, and learn from. But not everybody has that. That's why most podcasts don't last a year. (laughs) You know, Um, uh, but 
it's it's so I, I'm so glad you said that because that's such a that's such a truism. And I think that people need to need to um, sometimes hear that more because like just to assuming that you, you know, you you got to your artboard and you started just, you know, drawing and it, and it worked. I mean, there was so how long did it take you to develop the style? Was it 10 years? Kind of. <laughs> Honestly, said eight? I would, i've been doing the comic strip for 10 years i i invite everybody look at those first like say look at the first collector's book that i put out mm-hmm. compared to the last one that i put right. out here issue number one to issue number seven a world of difference why because i had been doing it for so many years to the point where i got better i got really confident in how each character is drawn I got a little more confident in my writing. I got a little just more confident in everything and developed and really honed the skill of what I'm doing, the style that I'm drawing in. So um, in all honesty, I don't think that uh, I've reached a level and ability in my skill, both writing and cartooning to pursue an actual career in this until like the last couple of years. So that's the thing about how the world is now. Back, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, if you wanted to work in comics, you were working, you were practicing on your craft and your skill in your house all by yourself for years until you reached an ability to where you could actually walk into Marvel, show them your, uh, your portfolio, and maybe get a job and actually start working penciling comics. Right. And it took that long to get to that point. We live in an era now, thanks to self-publishing and the internet, that someone can start right away, like I did. I literally do my first comic strip and I put it up. Was it of the quality that it is now? No. You see it grow over that time. So back when someone spent 10 years alone in their studio at home getting good, I was doing it online in front of the world. And only in the last couple of years do I think I'm at a level now where I could actually, I feel confident enough in my ability to actually go out and do all the things with this as a career that I've been wanting to do. Because in the first couple of years, I wasn't at that level. If I actually, um, well, as an example, just throwing it out, if I would have in the first couple of years gone and tried to get like, say, an animation deal, turn my comic strip into a cartoon, I would have gotten laughed at. Because they would have said, this is not even anywhere close to the skill level to pursue what you're trying to do here. But the last couple of years, looking at my work, my style, the look of it, I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, this is probably now at a level where I could probably go out and try to uh, solicit this as a as a uh, uh, animated series. All right. So, and who would who would play Eddie in that animated series? Okay, I, I've been asked this before, and I've got the perfect um, voice actors for it. Uh, okay. Kristen would be, um, uh, if I'm saying her name correctly, America Ferreira. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was the, the lead actress in Superstore. Mm-hmm. And yep. I forget what else she's done. Uh, Ugly Betty, voice, I think, was her breakout role. Yeah, Ugly Better was, Buddy was her breakout. But I really see her as Kristen in her role that she had in Superstore. Mm-hmm. Um, the voice actor for Eddie would be Jason Bateman. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Or, or yeah. Rob Lowe, according to Joe, Joe Bryan in our chat. 
Okay. Uh, that too. Uh, that'd be cool. Like, like, man, that that's, uh, yeah, that'd be really. Listen, if 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 that happened, whatever streaming service it had, if I did not have it, I would buy it just to watch collectors. Just saying. You better. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, speaking. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's pivot from the collection and the in the in the collector's comic to. Yeah. The other half the dream that you're living, you own a comic store. Now, tell us how this all came about, because this is an interesting story. Well, about and it's eight or nine years ago. Uh, at that time, I was actually working for my now partner, co-owner of, of the comic shop. I was working for him at his comic shop because he had already owned a comic shop here in my area in Torrance. And I was running his eBay store, his, his online uh, presence. At that time, there was no real social media yet. So I was running his website and, um, and basically running his eBay store and making his eBay store like a whole other sizable income for the shop. And when he found out that uh, Heidi Ho Comics in Santa Monica, which we now co-own, was up for sale, he approached me and said, do you want to partner up in buying this shop? And I said, yes, of course. I had no money, but I said, yes, I figured I'll figure out a way to make this happen. So the way I made it happen was the collection that you spoke about earlier, uh, mm -hmm. my complete run of Amazing Spider-Man from Amazing Fantasy 15 all the way to Amazing Spider-Man 700. I auctioned all of it off. All of it off, the entire collection. And that brought in enough money to pay for my portion of the shop, my percentage, and also uh, to buy a truck because I figured, well, one, I needed a new car and a truck would be really good for a shop because I'm going to be, you know, hauling stuff. And little did I know how much stuff I'm going to be hauling all the time. So I came <laughs> in. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, uh, when you do not have a truck, and you need a truck it's always at the worst time yes so 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 you sold this you sold the collection you open the shop and heidi ho is a legendary comic shop right tell me about heidi ho's history yeah well heidi ho's been in existence here in southern california since 1977 so it's the oldest shop the oldest comic shop still operating in southern california and so it's got a lot of history a lot of uh, really big industry people that have shopped there and been a part of the store over the years. Uh, Mark Hamill was a longtime pool customer there, which is kind of nice. Um, and he did come in a few times since we had taken over the shop and really super, super nice guy. Quick story. He actually came in right around the time that Marvel had gotten the rights back to Star Wars and the new issue number one came out and it was on the shelf. And he came in to uh, because he had a special order, a copy of Killing Joke for him and basically said, don't say anything. And we all know where that led to. And he said, yeah, don't say anything. So uh, he came in to pick it up. And of course, anyone who was shopping in the shop at the time, suddenly, you know, their heads just whip around like, oh, my God, it's Mark Hamill. And before you know it, 
everybody starts running to grab a copy of that Star Wars number one and formed a line at the counter where he was standing for him to sign it and then walking over to the register and buying it. Wow. <laughs> and we sold every single one. And I was like, oh, my God, Mr. Hamill, I am so sorry. Do you want me to go ahead and just, you know, say after this person, no more, sorry? And he's all, nah, don't worry about it. I got nothing else to do today. It's all part of the job. And he sat there and signed every single one. Wow. <laughs> Nicest what, uh... guy. Absolutely what? nicest guy, and I will fight anybody who says anything bad about him. Like uh, that is, you know, it's one of those things you, you hear all the time. Don't ever meet your heroes, but like that is a, such a cool, just yeah. I mean, like he seems like a cool guy. Like that, that's that, that's the thing. Like he's always like came across to me as like. There's no arrogance or anything like that. He just seems like a genuine, real guy. So to hear that story, you know, really, I was like, yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Um, I think so, that, uh, sorry, I was going to mention, I think that we hear so many horror stories about celebrities and their bad behavior that I think it really gives most actors, especially in our area here in Southern California and who come into the shop, I think it gives most of them a really bad rap because we've had a number of different celebrities, actors, directors, whatever, coming in the shop and buying stuff. And every single one has been friendly and cordial and nice. I've never had a bad experience ever. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, Mark for might be the and for anyone who's my Facebook friend, probably seen me posting pictures of me with the celebrities because I always bug them and go, Oh my God, can I get a picture? And they're like, yeah, sure. So you've probably seen anyone who's my Facebook friend has probably over the years seen who's come into the shop. So I won't name names, but uh, yeah, never a bad experience. But anyway, never a bad uh, yeah, Joe, Joe said uh, Mark might be the only person nicer than George Perez, which uh, true. <laughs> George Perez. Um, I, I never got the pleasure of meeting him, but every every time I saw an interview with him, he just seemed like the, the nicest guy. And every when he passed. Yeah, my wife, had a chance, my wife had a chance to meet him uh, at a small convention, and she absolutely said the same thing. Totally gushed because uh, she she loves the Infinity Gauntlet series, the original one, and his work. And he just said, you know, he would talk to everybody in line, started talking to her. And while he was talking to her, because my wife said that she loves the character Death in the series. And while he's talking to my wife, he's just sitting there sketching out Death and just hands it to her. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for, for yeah. So nicest guy like, in the world. Oh man, uh, that was we've we've had several losses lately. Um, and that that was that, that may be one of the biggest ones. So, uh, uh Radiac fifty five says hi guys. It's surreal to have a face to a comic strip that gives me the same comfort of uh of my faves. Best of luck in turning into a series. Eddie has good potential in animated form. So yeah. Maybe one day soon. I'm going to have to get to work on this, maybe try to figure out how to do it because I'm so tired of people coming up to me at conventions and saying, oh my God, I read your comic strip. I love your books. It should totally be an animated series. It would be such a good animated series. I'm like, yeah, do you know anybody? Don't just tell me. Give me names. Give me yeah, people. yeah. I mean, I, I I do know Greg Wiseman, but that's not my that's not my contact. So, um, <laughs> But he is, you know, a part of the Spidey Radio Network. Um, but... So let's uh, okay. I, I got to ask some business questions because I I like I'm a nerd when it comes to business. For it. 
I've said over and over, I love talking about the business of comics. Uh, I can go on and on about my experiences of what it's like actually owning a comic book shop. And I will preface it by one thing. You said it's living the dream. If managing employees and running payroll and paying business taxes and, and dealing with, you know, distributors and all that, if that's living the dream, then great, do it. But it's like any other retail business. It's work. Yeah, it is work. And I, you know, um, the comic shop that I used to go to back, back when I was up in the top of Texas, he owned his building. He wasn't renting. He had everything paid off. So basically all his capital was going back into buying, buying collections and stuff like that. I, I think he has like eight storage, storage lockers full of comics that he don't even have at the shop. Um, and so he just, but he's been doing it for 35 years. So, you know, he's, he's well-established. Talk to me about taking over a very established brand. And was there a lot of pressure to keep things the same or was there, you know, okay, I can start doing it our way with you and your partner. Uh, we really had to go in there and make changes because we had bought it from the second owner. And unfortunately, towards the end, he was kind of not as interested in it anymore. And he really let the shop go. So it was in really poor shape. So we were literally starting almost from ground zero trying to recoup this shop because it wasn't doing well. Um, and again, it was because he really kind of just let it go. So we got in there and really just started making changes from day one. And we were trying to do it with basically on a shoestring budget because, you know, it wasn't bringing in money on a good, consistent basis so that we can start, you know, reinvesting in the shop. We were literally putting our own money into it at that point. Uh, my partner was putting his own money into it from his other shop. And me, I was going into my collection and selling more key issues to raise the, the money we needed to do what we had to do. So stuff, I, I sold off uh, Tales of Suspense 39, the first appearance of Ant-Man, or of Iron Man, uh, Tales to Astonish 27, first appearance of Ant-Man, first appearance of Iron Fist, uh, Silver Surfer number one, Tomb of Dracula number one. I mean, I sold off quite a bit of other good key issues to keep the money coming in to be able to do what we needed to do. And it was tough. And it, the store, unfortunately, at that point had a reputation of not being so great. Uh, there were people in the comic industry and also in the uh, entertainment industry that would still come in, but really did not have a favorable opinion of it. So we really had to work to really turn that around. And I remember it was how bad off it was. I, I was not familiar with this shop. I, it was out of my area. So I right. didn't really go there. I didn't know about, I knew of it, but I didn't know it that personally. I had don't shop. I didn't shop there. So when I got the keys to the place and actually went in and saw the place, I saw like how just a disarray it was. And I thought, Oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> what did I just do? Right. So, right. It, it took the first couple of years to really work at it and turn the place around. And I think that we're back 
we've obviously gotten it back to where we are um, well thought of in the community. Um, we've brought back some, there's, there were some regulars that had been longtime regulars that stuck with us, some that came back and a sizable amount that we managed to, of new customers to bring on. So uh, we, we have a much more favorable, um, uh, we're much more favorable thought of in the community. We have more uh, connections with things like the Santa Monica Library and, and mm. the, the local paper that were really kind of talked of more favorably than when we took the place over. So, yeah. So, so was it, it just... Was- was it just the chaos and the dis disorganization and the because like Vinkman asked if we could elaborate a little bit on the uh, letting things go? So uh, I'll give you a few examples, and you know I don't want to you know talk badly about anybody, um, but the the second owner that we bought it from, he was just not around anymore. So the employees that were working for him, who were just not well supervised, were kind of running the place. And, you know, most they were young, you know, teenagers or early 20s. So they should not have been running the business. So uh, (laughs) the place was very disorganized. It was laid out completely haphazard to the point where it was you couldn't get around to find anything. Uh, The the tagline motto that we kind of adopted when we took over the place was because there was a sign up in the front counter that said, can't find what you're looking for. Ask, ask us for help. We wanted to change it to can't find what you're looking for. Neither can we. So is that disorganized? Uh, wow. It was it it was dirty. When we started, the first thing we did was we went in there. We started mopping the floors and cleaning and everything. And yes, we are talking about Heidi Ho in Santa Monica. And yes. while we were cleaning, we would find like half-eaten sandwiches in the bookcase. That's how bad it was. So. Yeah, it was just because, like I said, it was just young kids running the shop. The owner wasn't around. So it was basically, you know, the inmates were running the asylum. You kind of had to put the kibosh on that, you know, right away from day one. And uh, it took a while for those older employees, the ones who stayed, to warm up to us. Because, and I don't fault them for this, but when we bought the place, the owner that we bought it from didn't even tell the employees we just walked in one day and said okay we're the new owners we're your new bosses and they were looking at us like who the heck are you what so oh my gosh it was it was was bad so it took a lot of work to really get the place to a level that we thought was acceptable well and and the fact that you've got so now at you kind of got it at the right time though because now comics or pop culture and 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 they still were back then but i gotta say that obviously the movies blew things up to the point where um we are getting those families coming in who the kids don't know anything about comics aren't reading comics but the parents remember reading comics and liking them back in the 90s and the kids just want to come in because they just saw the new avengers movie and he wants an iron man toy but the, the parents are now steering the kids towards, well, I'll buy you the toy, but you have to pick a book because you have to read. And so it's getting the younger to actually start reading and enjoying comics. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, Joe, Joe, Joe. Good. Joe's a good friend of mine. So we actually, um, we haven't been doing it lately, but Joe and another retailer friend of mine 
have a podcast called uh, Tales from the Comic Shop, and it's all about mm. talking about what life is like for, you know, behind the counter of, you know, owning and running a comic book shop. So for anyone who wants to check that out. Definitely. Um, uh, send me the link later and then I'll make sure it's in the description down below or in the sure. show notes as well. When yeah, the audio the, edition comes the episodes are older because, you know, life happened and things have been going on and we have just not been able to record. For instance, my uh, our other co-host, Roger, who's also a comic shop owner in Utah, has expanded his shop and is actually taking over. Uh, he's, his shop is in a mall and he's taking over the whole other um, store next to him and tearing down the wall to create an even larger store, at, which would include a, a coffee shop. And on top of that, he bought another comic shop that was still in existence that uh, he took over. So now he's got two locations, the main one just suddenly growing to two, three times the size. So he's doing wow. really well. Yeah. Tell me about, cause I'm a toy collector and a comic collector. So are you guys just comics? Cause I haven't had a chance to go to the store yet. Cause like next time I'm in California, I'm, I'm going to, I'm making a point to come see you guys. So, so tell me about, yeah. T so with, with, you know, with my, the comic, my old comic shop, he was a, uh, he had his comics side, but he also had his gaming side and all the card games and the collectibles and that stuff. So right. tell me about it, how important it is to not just be the comic side and be diverse in terms of what you have in your stock. Right. It's very important. And we've talked about this on, on our, Tales from the Comic Shop podcast that comic shops alone at this day and age are not able to survive. The it's too small of an it's too much of a niche market that it's not sustainable in itself. So uh, any comic shop is smart if they become not a comic shop but a pop culture shop, so that you can include everything under that umbrella. You can have comics, you can have your trade paperbacks. You can have your your toys and your Funko Pops and also your gaming. And that's what we do. Obviously, our shop is not as big as my my friend Rogers, but we make it work. We do have comics and toys, and we also do have gaming. So um, our shop is smaller. So when we have our gaming in the evening, which is Magic and or Pokemon, all of our fixtures are on wheels, and they all just get wheeled away towards uh, the walls. And then that gives us a whole space to just now put out folding tables and chairs and we have our gaming. That's cool. So, so is it so the same? Unfortunately, you have to do that this day and age. If you are a comic book shop, you have to do that. You have yeah. to go into gaming. You have to build your magic, the gathering community. You have to find other avenues that are going to be bringing in your um, income because you know, any comic shop worth their, their salt, worth their weight is going to have their Wednesday warriors that come in and you're going to have a great day on Wednesday when everyone comes in to buy their new comics. But what about the rest of the week? You've got to have something going on that is incentivizing people to come in the other days of the week. And for a lot of shops, mine included, it's gaming. And I know a lot of people have, uh, and they're usually older collectors. They have bad taste in their mouth when they go into a shop and there are tables out with people gaming. And, you know, they think, why is this, you know, intruding upon, you know, my, my hobby, my, my comic. Unfortunately, those people need to accept that this is what comic books, uh, comic book shops need to do to survive. So if you want your shop to continue on uh, being your local shop and, you know, supplying you with comics, you have to accept that they are in 
in a, a position where they have to branch off into other areas to make sure they make enough of a monthly income to survive. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Joe says, boy, Marvel fan shop on Wednesday. Tuesday is new comic book day now. <laughs> That's true. We had to get into the habit of that. We do uh, have our, well, we have all our books out on Tuesdays because we get them ready for Wednesday. But yeah, people come in and they buy their, their DC stuff now on Tuesday. And it took a while for us to get used to when people would come to the counter with stuff that's new this week. And we'd have to say, oh, no, no, you can't buy. Oh, it's DC. Okay, you're good. So <laughs> so, so tell me, about. let's get into that for a little bit. Because the distribution model changed. You, you guys, oh, God, yes. so, so it was all diamond. Yeah. And now it's multifaceted. Tell me. Are you having issues? Because I like the, the the comic shop in my hometown, where I'm originally from. They're, they're unique because their shop is on the on the first floor. Their house is on the second. Their apartment is on the second oh, floor. That's nice. They got like the Bob's Burger thing going. Yes, that's, and so I would love that because the commute from my house to Santa Monica sometimes could be up to two hours in LA traffic. Oh I would love God. to just come downstairs into my shop. Oh, yeah, that's uh, like that. I told him I was like, that is living a little bit of the dream right there, even though it's a business. But like you just get to live right upstairs, come right downstairs. And then, you know, because uh, they also bought the, the part next door. So they're doing morning gaming. I haven't been there in a year, but uh, but all my all my the Funkos that Sarah has, basically, she has a whole standing box that she's. They're about to ship her. <laughs> she's going to pay like a, she's like, we'll just charge you a monthly fee. And then <laughs> you could pay us back. That uh, yeah. Way. And we'll ship that much merchandise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, it, are you do, now? Are you directly or so? Okay. Tell me about the distribution. Back to my question. It was just diamond. Now Marvel is still doing diamond and that's it. Right? No. Uh, Quick recap, obviously there was just Diamond, um, and that's recently because actually before then there were more than one distributor. Um, and this was back in the, the 70s and the 80s. There was right, Diamond right, right. and there were other competing distributors. But the difference then was that every distributor, for the most part, all carried the same publishers. So you could pick and choose which one you wanted to go to rather than saying, well, you have to go to this one if you want want to get marvel and you can only go to that one if you want to get dc which is the case now so for the people saying that oh it's good that dc and marvel broke up the monopoly that's not true because now you just have instead of one monopoly you have three monopolies unlike in the past where you could go to either one of the distributors and all get the same stuff from that one distributor that you can get from the others so that's the big difference but anyway what we have now is there was just diamond and uh, during the pandemic, and there's a whole sorted story behind this that if you want to know more, and I'm not trying to plug the podcast, but we did do a whole episode about this on Tales from the Comic Shop. But basically, during the pandemic, DC decided to break away from uh, from Diamond and start their own distribution. And um, so they now, so you now at that point, you now have to go to Diamond for everything else. And to uh, Lunar now, which is what it's called, for your DC books. So you have to go to two different places now to place your orders to get all the same stuff you used to get. 
And then it was about a year or so, year or two after that, or, or ago that uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, that Marvel then announced they're leaving Diamond. And so they left to go get uh, distributed by Penguin Random House. And so everybody then jumped to create a, an account with Penguin to get their Marvel books. And now you got Penguin for your Marvel, Marvel books, Lunar for your DC books, and Diamond for everything else. And everybody thought, well, this is the, the last nail in the coffin for Diamond because without the two big publishers, how are they going to survive? They managed to work out a deal where they are wholesaling Marvel. So you can still order your Marvel books through Diamond and just deal with Diamond and Lunar and not Penguin. But they're basically like the, the middleman between Penguin and the shops to get your Marvel. So uh, me personally, we did switch to Penguin. And we're so dissatisfied with the service that we dropped it and went back to Diamond to order our Marvel. Even though Penguin was ordering free shipping on the Marvel books, the service was bad enough that we went back to Diamond. And by bad, I mean they were really tough to deal with when you were shorted books or you received books damaged. Uh, they made it really hard for you to get them replaced. And also their packing was very subpar. Books, almost whole boxes of books would come damaged. And I think that because there are a book distributor that normally dealt with, you know, cookbooks, self-help books, romance right. books, they weren't so concerned about the damage aspect of their shipments. But with comics, you're dealing with the collectible. It needs to be received in as pristine a condition as possible, especially when you get like, say, a one in 100 variant that goes for, you know, I don't know, uh, $75. But now you received your one in 100 variant with a big crunch in one corner. What are you going to do with that now? You can't sell it for market value. So that was the problem with that distributor. So right now for us, and I know of other uh, shops that have done the same, we're ordering our DC books through Lunar. And then we're ordering our Marvel and everything else through Diamond and kind of going back to that. And I think for all the bad mouthing that everybody gave Diamond before all of this, I think we now realize how good we actually had it with Diamond. They were very responsive with sending uh, books that we got shorted or damaged. Uh, they were um, very good about their packing, even more so now than before, now that there's comp some competition. Uh, we realize now that we really had it quite good. And for some of us, not all shops, but some of us actually had a rep with Diamond. Right. Who, if had problems, we could call them and say, hey, this is wrong or that's wrong or I need help with this. And they would take care of it. And uh, with Lunar and Penguin, good luck getting a hold of anybody. So and, and that's that's the problem. You know, if you don't have a go to person that that's their job, then who do you call? I mean, it, it becomes that particular situation. So. Now, are you doing diamonds like for the collectibles as well? Everything like that, or do you have like, like, uh, say Marvel? Necessarily. Yeah, we yeah. Uh, there are is some stuff through Diamond that we're still ordering, but uh, like for Funkos and all that kind of stuff like that, we actually are ordering that through Entertainment Earth, and we at our shop are not doing that. 
our sister shop that my partner owns over here in Torrance, they have the account and uh, they are ordering everything. And then we kind of divide it up between the two stores. And, gotcha. and then also that uh, doesn't take into account the gaming stuff, the gaming like Pokemon and Magic oh, Gathering. Yeah. That's a whole other uh, distributor that we deal with. So there's constant distributors. And I don't know if you want to say hi to her or nothing, but I just heard the better half just uh, roll up in the driveway and walk in the house. Oh, okay. So, yeah, absolutely. Let's say hi to Kristen when she when she anyone, comes in. If anyone wants, whenever she comes, walks in over here, if anyone wants to say hello to the other half of Heidi Ho Comics and the other half of uh, uh, the, the much acclaimed award-winning comic strip collectors. Yes. yes. Award, I don't know. Don't ask me. Don't call me on it. Just, just, just accept it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll send you a, a, I'll get a plaque made and I'll, I'll send it to you. That way you can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but okay. So, so you're doing everything through, I, I was going to ask, are you doing it through big bad or entertainment earth? It's just easier to go through that for like the Marvel legends stuff and like, like that type of thing. For the most part. Yeah. Uh, we, at our shop in Santa Monica, we don't stock a huge amount of toys because believe it or not, it's not the biggest seller for us. We get the occasional parent with their kids who comes in and buys it, but our regulars, uh, they don't respond to that as much. So we're kind of uh, just a weird oddity, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we have our regulars that come in to buy their weekly pull or come in to buy like a pricey back issue or, you know, Silver Age book, but don't really respond to the toys. And uh, same thing with the gaming community that buy the Magic or Pokemon. They're coming in for that and not necessarily responding to the comics. So there's not a lot of crossover. So that's um, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. And I've talked to other retailers that say, oh, yeah, my my comic book guys, man, they buy the, the heck out of all the Funko Pops or the action figures or anything. And we don't necessarily have that experience. So I can only speak for my shop, you know, what we what we deal with. So, how, OK, there was so much about the, the pandemic how hard was it to shift from a brick and mortar to having to be online at least temporarily while the whole world shut down? Uh, it was a bit of a change. Thankfully, our employees were taken care of because here in California, they were all able to go on unemployment and um, get the uh, whatever amount it was over and above that for live off of. So they were taken care of. Uh, we didn't necessarily have that luxury. Kristen at one point did do it because she's is technically on payroll. So she could um, get something right. for it. But for the most part, we had to shut down for, I believe it was two months. And during that time, Kristen and I were still going in. And because at that point, the weekly books were still coming in. So something had to be right. done with it. We had to work on them. So we would do right. all the, the pulling for the pull customers and we were calling them. We were calling them and saying, the books are still here. The books are still coming. We can uh, email you an invoice for you to pay and we can ship them out to you. So we were doing that. Uh, we were thankful enough that during the time we were locked down, our landlord said, you don't have to pay any rent. While their lockdown is in place, you don't have to pay anything. So whatever money we were making on our 
pool customers, which was the only thing that was coming in really besides uh, eBay store sales. Uh, that was pretty much all going to the shop, you know, without having to go out to pay rent, which was nice. So right. we, yeah, so we dealt with that and it was actually kind of a nice change of pace for her and I, because we were getting to the point where we were just getting so frazzled and burnt out with dealing with customers day in and day out that suddenly now we were able to make it to work from Torrance Santa Monica on the 405 freeway in 15 minutes and no more. And because <laughs> literally it was empty. Yeah. And we would go into work, come in, lock the door, and we would just, you know, turn on, blast the music. Uh, we would like order pizza, have some beer in the fridge, the shop fridge for us, and we would work. And yeah. completely uninterrupted, you know, we didn't even have to talk to each other if we didn't want to. <laughs> so it was kind of a nice change of pace. And after anyone who works retail could agree that after working retail for so long, especially managing to have a couple of months where it was just nice and quiet and there was nobody distracting you every five minutes. I think that yeah. anyone who works retail could appreciate that. So um, that's what we did for a couple of months while we were locked down. And it, it honestly, it wasn't so bad. And um, I didn't worry about it so much because like I said, I knew my employees were taken care of. They weren't going hungry. They weren't penniless. So right. it was okay. You know, it was all right. And then we got the go ahead to open up. And sadly, uh, our landlord said, okay, lockdown's over. You can start paying rent again, which what we were kind of like, what, huh? No, because Santa Monica was still a ghost town. There was no tourist season happening and tourist season for five, six months out of the year is, was, it's a big moneymaker for us because we have a lot right. of uh, people from other countries that are coming in and dropping a lot of money in that area. So uh, there were no tourists there. Just regular people weren't even coming into the area to shop because it was, you know, it, so much fear. Pandemic, and yeah. it was, so it was a ghost town. So there was no way that was going to happen. So, uh, that forced us to seriously look as to whether or not we want to stay in that location. Oh, and to top it all off, a week after we were allowed to open back up, which we did, uh, anyone who watched the news, we were looted. <laughs> That's great. I, I almost forgot about that. You guys were looted. Yeah. and Yeah. Man, so for I... anyone who watched the news and watched the rioting and looting that was going on in Santa Monica – the uh, helicopter camera was focusing in on the van's shoe store that was being just completely decimated and cleared out by looters. And uh, for anyone who remembers seeing that on the news, our shop is just a couple stores down from that van store. So that whole block was was pretty much just getting hit. So, yeah, wow. that's that fun. I, uh, I remember you guys had a GoFundMe and that and everything obviously it funded and all that and you guys got yeah. um got everything back to normal but so is it back to, it's it's back to normal now oh it's back to normal what i was gonna uh continue to say was because the pandemic was still happening over here in um southern california and the culture the work culture here changed so drastically where people were working so many more people were working from home because a lot of the area we're at are more young professional types to where they could work from home. Uh, that really changed everything for us down there. And because a lot of our customers were people that were working in the area and would come, you know, at some point, like on their break or their lunch break, whatever, and come and shop. 
So a lot of that changed. Business dropped. We decided we are at a point now where where we're at in like at the heart of Santa Monica near the Third Street Promenade, which is the big shopping area, was just not sustainable. So we decided that we're going to do what we can to get out of the lease we were in and move a little just a few blocks east where the rent was much cheaper. So that's what we did. It's about a little over a year ago. Um, we managed to do that and move location. And um, I thought it would be to our detriment because it is a little bit smaller and um, hasn't really been the case. A lot of our regulars say, oh, my God, I love this place so much better because there's a parking lot in front, which we didn't have uh, at the oh. other location. Yeah. So they, they all love that. So, so you got a place to park. They, they, and they stay longer, I would think. Yeah, because they're not paying for parking like they were before. You know, yeah. they're thinking, no, I've only got so much time on the meter. I better just buy this and go. Yeah, exactly. So now that now they sit there and they talk and it becomes more of a community type spot as opposed yeah. to get in and get out. Yeah, that, especially with the, with the gaming for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um so so you you guys make this move so you kind of started over again, really. It sounds like Yeah, well, we've actually moved twice since we had the shop. When we bought it, it was at the first location that was like a giant, it was almost like a giant warehouse, like a bunker, almost. It used to be an Army, uh, Army Navy surplus store at one point. Oh, okay. And so it looked like a giant bunker, and it was way bigger than what we needed. Uh, what was kind of nice was that there was an actual stage in the back of the shop, and we would have um, things going on in the evening sometime every, uh, you know, once a month. Like we had a, a stand-up comedy show um, in the shop. Nice. Well, on the stage, which was kind of nice. We managed to do it when, when we moved to the location on uh, Broadway, close to the Third Street Promenade, but it was a smaller location. And then from there, a little over a year, we moved a little east to um, a more affordable location, which is a little smaller still. So, But uh, so far, every move has managed to work out, so I can't complain. Well, that's – and then – so you guys have – you have the online. You have an online store, right? Yeah, like like pretty much any other comic shop, we have an, an eBay store, um, in store store, not just an account, but an actual store account. So it's in our actual business online. So that's where you will find a lot of our more higher end comics that we get in collections. Those books are still available to buy in the shop, but obviously they sell quicker and better online than they do in the shop. So. Um, we have that. So, so when you, and same thing with our cards, we have, uh, what's called TCG player, which is a website similar to eBay, but for magic, the gathering and Pokemon cards. Hmm. So this day and age, like I said, you can't afford to just be a look, a physical location that just sells comics. You have to expand, you have to have gaming, you have to have other, uh, areas of revenue and that also includes online that's how shops survive yeah no i to me it all it always made sense and i i, I guess you know my background being in retail and working at sam's and and dealing with you know those businesses the, all the mod posh shops that would come in and get all their stuff you know it makes sense that you would diversify and not just be the comic shop yeah. Um, so what are you reading now? 
tell people um, because we're a little over an hour and I, I was kind of expecting about an hour long episode. Right. So tell people about where they can find you, what you got going on, uh, what's coming up. And, and what uh, I'm reading. Yeah. What you're reading. Okay. Well, you can find the comic strip collectors at collectorscomic.com. And I like that the URL has been there on the screen the whole time. And you're, you're welcome. Um, there is a link there on the website. You can find like the latest comic strips and then you can also find links to the socials to follow there as well. Then you can also find us at HeidiHoComics.com, which is the website for the shop. And if you're in Southern California, you can find us in Santa Monica on Lincoln Boulevard, uh, 1803, if I'm remembering the address correctly. It's getting used to the new address. And so, yeah, come on in and visit the shop. And what am I reading? Uh, well, part of uh, what Kristen and I do running the shop is every Tuesday evening, we do a Facebook live show from the shop where we talk about what books are coming out that week. And we uh, talk about at least three books that we read that day that we highly recommend. And I will say the one book, actually there's two that I really, really love right now that's, that's uh, coming out. In fact, the one series, just the final issue came out this week. Rogues, by, which is a DC black label uh, series, is absolutely fantastic. If you're not reading it, shame on you. It is fantastic. It is about um, D-list DC villains who are, for the most part, mostly like Flash's rogue gallery um, that are trying to pull off one big last job to kind of, for the fame and the glory and to retire. So it is like Ocean's Eleven, but with DC supervillains. It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it's so beautifully, wonderfully written. And it's a four-issue Black Label series, and the fourth issue came out this week, the fourth and final issue. So it's the ending. And I read the ending and went, oh, my God, it's so good. The other series that I love a lot is one called Public Domain by Image, put out, put out by Image, and it's being written by Chip Zdarsky. Dude, he uh, is he's, he's fantastic. He's killing it. Yes, and for those of you not familiar with what this series is, it is about an older retired comic book artist and his two grown adult sons. And he finds out it basically this adult artist is kind of like almost like a Jack Kirby-ish type character where the all these characters that he created in his younger days are now on the screen, a TV and film making billions and billions of dollars while he's basically getting nothing. He basically gets a ticket to the premiere in Hollywood to see the movie. And that's really it. So he's like, he's kind of forgotten and made nothing from this billion dollar industry that he helped basically to create. And his two adult sons are, it causes friction between him and his two adult sons because of the fact that he's okay with it. You know, it's like, He's just kind of a simple person. Well, in a turn of events, he uh, assistant to the big head honcho of the film studios is almost kind of like a Stan Lee-ish type character. Mm -hmm. From an old contract between uh, the old the artist and the the publishing companies, he comes to find out that all those characters he created back then back then are actually owned by him. That he owns all of them. So that starts off. Uh, a legal battle between the family, the artist and his adult sons, and the big, big studio execs and conglomeration to try to 
get something out of it to get those characters or to get some money out of it. And his dad is like kind of simple. He's already kind of beaten and thinking, well, you know, I don't want, I don't want to put our family through this battle. And his sons are telling him, no, this is your legacy. You need to go fight for it. You need to get it. You know, don't do it for us. Do it for you. Do it for you and mom, you know, so you guys can have a, a good retirement and enjoy life. So it ends up being this story of like a Stan Lee, Jack Kirby type situation, but it really turns out to be this really heartfelt story about this dad and his two adult sons and their relationship. So it's a fantastic, fantastic book. So that's what I'm reading. Okay. That man, that's, I'm going to have to definitely check that out because like Zdarsky's spec was hit and miss for me, but like his daredevil has been really good. Um, Others like that, and that last issue of Spec was phenomenal. One of the best issues that I've read in years. Um, but I just, yeah, um, I'll have to definitely check that out. So, um, okay, so as much as I am a Marvel guy, I've been finding like a lot of the most really well done, compelling stories have been the indies, and it's usually been by somewhat known uh, creators that I think that they enjoy and do good work. For the big two, you know, for like the, you know, the good characters like Spider-Man and Batman and so, but I think they're really saving their heart and soul for their own creator own projects in the indies. And that's where I think a lot of the most compelling stories have been. Yeah, I, I definitely have noticed that tectonic shift over the last, you know, 15 years or so where. Yeah, they're doing good. Like you're like you were just saying, they're doing really good over at the big two, but then like you can tell the passion that they have for these greater own books. And um, Joe says, Oh my God, that sounds amazing. What book is this? If you didn't hear the title is public domain. It's published by image and written by Chip Zdarsky. Check it out. So I will uh, also include that in the show notes. Uh, any recommendations that you you're making, I will, I will fly hunt down and put in the show notes um, for the audio and later on for the video. Once I, uh, once we finish the broadcast. Um, okay, so let's start wrapping things up. We'll take a few questions from the uh, from the from the chat. If you got a question for Eddie, uh, feel free to ask. Um, while you're while he's asking that question, I gotta I gotta have you. How did you get to know Stan? Stan the Man Lee. Uh, well, okay, it started I think back in twenty. 10 ish somewhere around there uh i had him sign my copy of avengers number four in san diego comic-con and this was back when you didn't have to pay hundreds of dollars to get stan's signature it was just a lottery thing where you you um got a raffle ticket and if your number was pulled you got to come back and get in line and there was no charge how nice i mean can you imagine Anyway, right. <laughs> I got pictures of him signing my Avengers number four. And I said, you know, I grew up reading your stuff. I feel like you're my second dad. And he said, well, thank you, second son. And that was it. I thought, OK, I met Stan Lee. My, you know, I can die happy. I'm, I, that's probably never going to happen again. Well, years later, I, I got a job working on an independent documentary film, which was basically uh, the document, a documentary about Stan Lee. And the reason why they hired me was 
because I had graphic design experience. I knew Photoshop and I had a pretty, pretty big Marvel, uh, Silver Age Marvel comic book collection. And they needed scans of, of uh, pages and characters from these old comics. And they were like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. You're you're you know, when can you start? And so um, during the course of working on that film, which was about a good God, how long was it? A year, year and a half? I forget. I don't remember. Um, I got to meet Stan again a couple of times. And the the kicker to that was towards the end. I, with one, with two of the, the film's producers, I went up to Stan's office at uh, POW Entertainment, his company, and basically hung out in his office with him for a couple of hours with the producers, which was kind of nice. And I couple things. This was before the uh, Christmas slash holiday break. So everyone, you know, the, the office was kind of empty. Um, it, it was very relaxed. So it was just kind of just people just hanging out and just being real. And uh, Stan is mostly like how he is when he's around the public, you know, that kind of persona. But it's not as verbose and, and you know, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for as, as rambunctious or whatever. He's, he's still the same, but just more subdued. And also what you don't get with the public uh, persona that you see when you go to a convention is the man's got a bit of a dirty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I heard yeah. him say the F word the first time at that in his office. I was like, oh my God, this man just said the F word. It was like, like if you would hear Jesus Christ cuss, I guess. <laughs> is what I reckon it, uh, you know, liking it to. Oh, it and, was. Yeah, I was. I remember when Brad did the uh, did the Salvi Sima podcast tribute, and it's got Stan on there, and Stan's just riffing, and he's, you know, he's saying hell and shit, and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like his normal thing. I got to imagine it must have been like very tough for him to not slip into that when he was at conventions and around the public. Because, you know, some people just when they talk like that, it just kind of slips out sometimes. So right. kudos to him for being able to control that because I know I, you know, I don't uh, a lot of the times. And um, so I was afraid to talk to the guy when I was like literally sitting on the other side of his desk in the chair, just staring at him <laughs> while everyone else was talking. And and he would he would turn, you know, he would be at his 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 desk chair. And every so often he would just kind of turn and check his email. And then come back. And he checked his email one time and he turns back and goes, I just got an email from the producers of this show, Big Bang Theory. You ever hear of it? And I go, yeah. And he goes, is it funny? And I said, yeah, but I got it. But a lot of the jokes and the in humor is all DC characters. And he says, well, they asked me to be on the show, so I guess I'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and he had a pretty memorable uh, cameo in his Fantastic Four uh, robe. <laughs> yeah. So when eventually, and I forgot all about that, but then when it, the show came on, and I think I was flipping through the channels, me and my wife were flipping through the channels and saw it, and I was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." He was he was telling me that in his office. Okay. Another thing that I really, really, and I feel bad for the guy because even. It's really great that you have a career that is so has such longevity and the characters that you co-created and were a part of were so loved that you are in such demand even well into your old age. 
which towards the end, I kind of feel bad for the guy because I feel like at the, some point, you know, he was just showing up conventions with other people moving his hand practically. But um, for the most part, like during the time I was uh, working on that um, the documentary, even though he was, you know, older, he was very spry. Yeah. Very with it. Yeah. The, the uh, last is watching him just in the office, like bounding up the staircase, you know, at one point thinking, how old is he? This guy's like, you know, like he's still in his twenties. Uh, and he, he, what I felt bad when I finished my thought was he had a room in his office that was the signing room. Basically all the stuff that gets sent to him by like, say, I don't know, uh, you know, CGC or all the other publishers or this, that, whatever that, you know, where you buy memorabilia that's signed by him. That's what this room was for. And there was one day a week where he would just sit in that room for a literal eight to 10 hours doing nothing but signing stuff over and over and over and over. And I kind of felt bad for him thinking that. I mean, it's like, it's great that you are so still revered and and wanted by the public at, in your older years like that. But man, that's got to be tough. Uh, you know, it, I, I told, uh, I remember we were talking about, and when it, when, it, when Joan passed away, I, I had said, I was like, I don't know how long Stan will, because you just see that on somebody yeah. that's been, when, when those couples have been together that long, it, just the decline. Um, yeah. and, and it's just kind of the natural, it feels like a natural order of things type thing, but yeah. You definitely saw, like you were saying, that last year and a half, two years, he very much declined very quickly. But I mean, the guy was when he was like 95, I mean, he was jumping around and, and jovial, you know, smiling Stan. And, uh, you talk about a life well lived. Yeah. Like. That's the type of life that you you want to have, you know, where where you're sitting there and you're spry and people love you. Yes, that 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 downside, like you were just saying about having to go into that room and sign your name, fifteen hundred times, fifteen thousand times, however many times he did that at that point. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that 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 seems like it'd be miserable, but yeah. um, to and I to, saw him. Sorry to interrupt. I saw him at an event. Um, my wife and I went and this was a few months after Joan had passed and he was still kind of like very, you know, to the, around the public, to the public, very jovial and like the Stanley that, you know, but you can tell that the spark was gone. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the same. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I could even just see it just in the, in the few appearances that public appearances he did make. I was like, Oh, um, you know, obviously the movies, that's a whole different thing, but, um, yeah, man. I, so have you, have you caught up on all the MCU stuff or is it just so much now that it's so hard to keep up with? Mostly, uh, there were some things that I never did get around to seeing like, uh, gosh, I don't know, like the first, the, the second season of Jessica Jones, um, never managed to see that. I never did see Iron Fist, but according to a lot of people, I don't, didn't miss much. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We finished She-Hulk, uh, which I, I, you know, much to the dismay of a lot of people online who want to, you know, poop on it. I loved it. I thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end. And then there's uh, uh, Werewolf by Night, which we have not yet watched, but I'm sure we will very soon because it looks pretty fantastic. 
I haven't seen Werewolf by Night yet, but uh, no, I watched She-Hulk. Look, uh, there was parts I that I really loved. There was parts I didn't love, um, but overall, I thought it was one of the stronger MCU shows. Like, the, like the, it's been very up and down for me on the MCU shows, but like that one was. Uh, I, I love the last episode. It was so yes, irreverent and you know just. I'm I am so looking forward to seeing what they do with Deadpool after what they did with She-Hulk. Like like the the I mean how it's going to be taken up to an 11 like uh I mean I I'm I'm looking forward to it. But um, what I want to know is too regarding that is how big was the Brinks truck that they had to back up to uh Hugh Jackman's house to play Wolverine <laughs> again. Well, I mean uh, if anybody has the amount of money it would take to lure Hugh Jackman out of retirement to, to play, it would be Disney Marvel. I mean, <laughs> I suspect though it probably wasn't the money. It was Ryan Reynolds that convinced him to, to come back. I, I truth be told. Yes. I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I think, um, there was very few things that would have pulled him back. And I think that that, and I, th- I also think it, the I think between that and getting to work with Marvel directly now and not have to deal with Fox, I think is something that I think is inter- would be he always expressed that in the past that, sure. you know, um, uh, if I'm he could sure be in if an event- else comes, I'm sure if someone else comes in uh, the near future and takes over as Wolverine, I think that he could still take pride in the fact that he was the one that brought it to Marvel. So that's probably another factor. <laughs> And I, you know, one of he said his dream was to always to be one of those Avengers movies. And I, I just got a feeling he's going to at least be in a couple of scenes of Secret Wars or Kang Dynasty before it's all said and done. I, I just, well, I mean, at this point now. Um, so, like I say, uh, you got you got a small co- uh, convention you're going to be doing. You're going to be appearing at down in down in uh, in California. Kind of plug that. Let people know where that's going to be at, and then we'll uh, start wrapping the show up. Yeah, that's going to be, it's called East End Art and Comic Takeover, and it's in Pomona. Uh, gosh, I don't have the address because I wasn't prepared to plug it, so I apologize. No, but anybody can go onto my social media and um, see my promotion of it and see where exactly where it's at. Uh, beyond that, my next appearance is going to be L- my, my return to LA Comic Con uh, here in LA. I'm always a guest every year. And I'm going to be there in December. And uh, you're going to be in Baltimore uh, for those that are in Baltimore. Well, I'm not going to be, uh, I'm not going to be um, there with my comic. I'm not going to have a table or a booth or anything. I'm not going to be there promoting anything. I'm just going there for fun. Uh, oh, yeah. My wife, Kristen, was uh, fortunate enough to win a scholarship from Bink to go to the Diamond Summit in uh at baltimore comic-con so we're going for that and then we're going to stay through sunday uh for baltimore comic-con check it out i've never been to baltimore i've never been to that convention so it's basically gonna be going for fun and it's also the weekend of our anniversary so we're gonna just go and try to have a little fun and have a little getaway sweet well um thanks again for being a part of the episode man Uh, like uh, uh this was a lot of fun um What's the podcast or plug that podcast again that you, you're, you're 
talking shop it's called, type show. It's called Tales from the Comic Shop, and you can find it on most platforms, uh, Spotify, so and so, such and such. I'm sorry, I can't remember. It's been a while since we've been recorded because, like I said, life happens. Roger, uh, our our co-host bought a second location, expanded his first, and Joe in the comments reminded me that he even bought a third location. So uh, <laughs> the man is a busy guy. So yes. but we got to wrangle him in to do another one real soon just to catch up on everything that's happened since the last time we recorded. Well, you're welcome back back here oh, on the Spider Dude Radio, radio Network anytime. Off, someone's yeah. here. The, the other half of Heidi Ho Comics and the other half of uh, Collectors can pop in and say a quick hello well, uh, hello long time no see Kristina. it's good to see you i hope you remember zach when we that when you're comic-con with uh with don josh oh, yeah. uh john stella yeah 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 i do yeah. remember that yes it's been a it's been it's been a decade so you know and i had a lot more hair on the top of my head yeah. uh, <laughs> he, so. he looked like a long-haired surfer dude I did. I did look like I fit in in California at that point. So, um, so. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, so you cool. got you got people in the comments saying hi to you as well. So, Bigfoot says hello. <laughs> so, so side note: uh, the last couple of years, I actually, while I'm still involved in in Heidi Ho and and still a co-owner, I actually stepped away from managing it because I wanted to spend time doing other stuff. Basically, you know, working more on my comic strip and other pursuits, uh-huh. and but still doing owner stuff in the background. And uh, we were gonna hire on a new manager, but uh, who, the person who ended up taking it over. Yes. <laughs> oh. So, so when Kristen we... is now the active manager of the shop. So when 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 some Karen wants to speak with the manager, they have to speak with Kristen. <laughs> oh, and yes. And trust me. Yes, that's right. Trust me, she, Kristen does not take any guff. Well, she does I not take no. any, you know what? Yeah, yeah. She shut uh, down many a complainer or uh, a problem person in the shop. That well, that's good. So um, be sure to go to all those all those particular places, Heidio Comics, CollectorsComic.com, HeidiOComics.com. Uh, all that the stuff will be in the description down below. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Spider Experience. Thanks again to Eddie and Kristen for uh, for coming on and, and being a part of the episode. I had a blast. Uh, and like I said, you're welcome anytime, Eddie. Uh, that you want to jump on and uh, this was a lot of fun. So with that, I'm going to click this little button here and uh, hit the music. So once again, got to thank our uh, oh, wrong, wrong music. There we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we get, uh, get out of here uh, at Spidey Dude radio on Twitter at Spidey Dude network on Facebook at Spidey Dude radio network on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, our voicemail line, if you want to leave a voicemail for the show, is 818-925-6831. Uh, and be sure to check out CollectorsComic.com. Uh, thanks again for watching. Thanks again for listening, if you're listening to us on the audio editions. Uh, before I get out of here, though, i got to thank our patrons at Patreon.com. Vinkman, Scott, Greg, Phoenician Kale. Georgia, Jessica, Catherine, Cindy, and Jurgen. Thank you guys for your support of the Spidey Dude Radio Network and all the great shows, such as Amazing Spider-Man Classics, 
Make My Mayday, this show, The Spidey Dude Experience, Clone Saga Chronicles, Spectacular Radio, Savvy Sim Era Podcast, and coming soon, it'll be a Patreon first show, Books of X, uh, will be the show all about the Krakoa X-Men, uh, talking about that era of the X-Men. So if you like this show, be sure to give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting catcher. And uh, without further ado, uh, we'll begin to wrap this one up. Thanks for watching. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you guys next time here on The Spidey Dude Radio Network.